Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, please. Hallelujah. We do love being here this weekend with you, and it's just great. I particularly love worshipping with you. It's a, I just don't want you to take it for granted. It's great to be in a church which is very word and spirit. And I think this is God's heart for the, his church throughout the whole of the UK, that we become that wonderful combination where everything we believe is rooted in the word of God, but we give freedom to the Holy Spirit to lead us. And the spirit confirms the word, and the word is the basis of the things that happen. So when we have a worship where people bring contributions, it's just not to be taken for granted. It's really wonderful to sense God's presence and to know that he's a God who speaks to us so clearly. And I really appreciate that. So go on and on in that particular vein because it's so important. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. I've entitled this word, Asking and Receiving, and we'll see how that pans out as we go along. Ask, says Jesus, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? There are two things that strike me immediately about the nature and the character of God Uh, from this passage. It's Jesus speaking, but Christians, we believe that God is three in one, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is God speaking to us. And um, the two things that come clearly to me about the character of God is this. First of all, that he is a living God. He is alive. Uh, why, Why do we get that from that passage? Because Jesus is saying, ask and it will be given to you. Now, if you're a God who's not alive, you don't ask people to ask for things because you can't give things to them. So immediately from this passage, Jesus, who had died on the cross and has risen from the dead and is now alive, is still giving us that invitation, ask, and it will be given to you. It's it's kind of like the reason he can do that is he's alive. 2,000 years later plus, he is still making that invitation to us because he's a living God. Uh, if he's not alive, why call us to ask him for things? And the second thing I see about the character of God from this passage is that he's a giving God. He's, he's, he's inviting us to ask, but when we do ask, the promise is that he will then give us for what we ask for. I think you, if you've read that passage with me, you will understand that's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, and, and the burden of my heart this morning is partly this, to realize that this living God who can do things today and this giving God who will do what he says is a God that our world today desperately needs to come and experience and to come to know. Uh, I think we're living in a world where a lot of people think that God, if he exists at all, is very distant and uninvolved in people's lives. He seems to be far off, not someone. He's certainly not a living God and certainly not a giving God. And yet we live in a world that's desperate, 
many, many people recognising their desperate need. There's a new generation, particularly growing up all around us, whose who's need for meaning in life and whose need for purpose and foundations, whose need to hear the gospel, actually, the spiritual void that people live with these days because they've rejected church, they've rejected Christianity, but the desperate hunger and thirst for a knowledge of God is still within them. It's a void that cannot be filled by other things, even though people all around us are desperately uh, trying to fill that void, even though they don't know that they're doing it. And there's this desperate need for them to know the living and giving God. And you know, one of the ways that they're going to find this out is through meeting people who know that he is alive and know that he is a God who richly gives to them. And that might be the vast majority of people here in this, this meeting this morning. One of the ways that our generation, this world, needs to not only hear that there is a living God, but also see that there is a living God, is through a church that's full of people who are living out Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11. People who have such a relationship with God, they keep on asking him for things. Some of you think that might be a bit presumptuous. I'm going to tackle that in a moment. Asking him for things and receiving things from him, which manifests in a wonderful living relationship with God. And people come across us and they say, oh, you don't just go to church then. It seems that you have a relationship with God seven days a week, 24 24 hours a day, you, you seem to be in this environment of a, of a knowledge of, of this knowing of this God. People in relationship with God who live out the richness and the abundance of this life of a giving God in the daily lives of other people. Pews in fields. That's what it's about. It's people's concepts of what this is in living reality where they are. Asking God, receiving from God, knowing God, as we heard in our worship, that he is the father of lights, that he's a God that you can know intimately, who gives abundantly. I love the fact that we worship a giving God. Someone said you can keep giving to God, but God's always going to outgive you because as you shovel it in, his shovel's always bigger than yours. It's kind of like we're going to give to God, he gives back again. We're going to give to God, he gives back again. John 3.16, such a well-known verse. God so loved the world that he gave his son. He has given this son who is so magnificent, as we heard again in our worship, who has supremacy over all things. Hallelujah. And he gave his son. He also gave us his word. One of the reasons we know what God is like today is because he's revealed himself. I think it's not long after endlessly searching for God, you actually come to the conclusion that we human beings can't get to know God through ourselves. Well, the good news is that he's taken the initiative and revealed himself to us. And the reason you know that God is a God of love and that he's your heavenly father and the reason that you, you know that God is, is a righteous God and that he's a loving God and he's a giving God is because, not that you've made it up, but because he's revealed it through his word. He's given us his word. He's a giving God. He's given us the Holy Spirit. Jesus says to us, you know, ask. We've just read it in this passage in Matthew chapter 7 concerning asking God for things and what he gives to us. He's the one who gives us 
the person of the Holy Spirit when we ask him. What is it that Jesus said we were to pray? Give us this day our daily bread. This is God who can provide for all your needs by giving and giving to you over and again. It's wonderful to know that we worship a God who gives gifts to his children, who gives abundant life for each one of us, who, though we were orphans, now know that we're sons and daughters of God because he's given us that revelation. He gives us love. He gives us peace. He gives us joy. He gives us everything that we need in life. You are allowed to look vaguely interested in this if you like. And and more than that, the Bible's chock-a-block full of promises that Jesus has made to us. Promises over and over again. So as I read Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11, for example, this abundant God, even if, even if you who are evil give good gifts to your, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things? If you got the message this morning, a living, giving God, giving good things to us then I have a question and I hope you've got it too. Where are they? Where, where, is, where, where is the abundance of the promises of God in my life? Remembering this is not a self-centered thing. This is for a world that needs to come to know Jesus. I, if they come into my life and they find I have no more idea or experience of God than they have, even though I call myself a Christian, that's not very attractive. But if I come across and they find this is a jar of clay, a very ordinary person, but in me is a treasure that God's put within me, then, and it's, not, it's seen, it's displayed, then there are people that are going to be really magnetically attractive, not to me, but to God who lives in me. So where are the promises of God? Where is the abundance of this giving God? Well, maybe we're not experiencing it because God is reluctant to give it to us for some reason or other. When he looks at us, he hesitates to give us the things that he wants to give us. Well, apparently not. Because every verse of scripture would totally contradict that point I've just made. If the answers to why we're not experiencing things in God the way we should is because God is somehow reluctant, we wouldn't have read together Matthew 7, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. It's like a God who's not reluctant. He's he's longing, urging us to come to that place. And I find it's amazing when I read the promises of Jesus, that's enough, but the way that he, he unapologetically says he will give us what we ask him for. I, I really don't, know, don't think the problem, the lack of the promises I'm experiencing is anything to do with God's reluctance, but it has all to do with something which we're going to touch on in a moment that has to do with us. Similarly, Matthew chapter 18 and verse 19. Again, Jesus says, I say to you, if two or three of you gather on earth, and ask about anything in, in my name, and they ask together, it shall be done for them by my Father in heaven. Matthew chapter 21, verse 21. Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and you don't have doubt, you will not only do what has been done to this fig tree, because Jesus has just cursed it, which is amazing, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. John chapter 14 verse 12 is a passage reminding us again of this abundant God. 
Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you stop there, you kind of, and then he goes, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is not a reluctant God. This is a giving giving, living God, willing to do these things. John 16, verse 23 says this. Jesus says, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I say to you, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And I just did a quick summary of these things from God's perspective. And Jesus basically is saying this, it shall be given you, it shall be yours, you will receive, it shall be done, I will do it. This is the God who wants to enrich our lives as the way he gives to us. It's not the problem from his point of view. So we come to ourselves. And I think here we find the key to sometimes in my life, when I read all these promises and I have to be honest and say, I'm not actually experiencing them in the way that I should that I realize that promises have to be received by faith. And this is what God is after amongst us as his people, a people who actually believe what he says, a people who have faith, because the Bible itself says that faith is when we believe the promises of the one who spoke them. And faith is action. I want you to try and understand this this morning. I think sometimes as Christians, we think that faith is passively waiting. It's like God's made the promise. Okay, God, you promised, so here I am. My hands are open, I'm waiting. As if that's somehow faith, passively hoping that God will do what he promised. Whereas these scriptures seem to indicate to us that there's a part that we have to play as well. And I don't think faith is a complicated thing. Faith is when we hear God say something, we know him, so we believe him, and we just lean into what he says. So even the well-known passage, Hebrews 11 verse 1, says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, is speaking to me about leaning into God. It's about assurance. It's about conviction. That's the place that I, that's the part I play. God says something. Do I have assurance that he does it? Will I have the conviction that things are not yet seen, but I will see them? That's leaning into the promises of God. This great city of Edinburgh needs to see people like you and me who are constantly in relationship with a living, giving God and who are constantly asking God for things and receiving things from him because of our knowledge of a good God, this will then be displayed amongst us. We should be rich today at asking God for things. We'll come back to that in just a second. And also receiving from, him, from God the things that he has promised. We had a, a, a weekend gathering many of our churches together. A number of you were there uh, down in the south. Many of you were there because you remember the journey there and the journey back, uh, which was rather longer than it should have been. And uh, we had this, this, this camp together, about 2,300 people. And the theme was being empowered by the Spirit. 
Now, I've been around a long time and I've been in lots of meetings and lots of conferences over many, many years and had the joy of, of seeing God's people being affected by God and being enriched by him. And this particular conference was interesting for me because the theme was basically asking and receiving. So the theme was, for example, God has promised the Holy Spirit and we Christians need all of the Holy Spirit that we can get, but you do need to ask him. He won't impose himself against your will. And by the way, you don't even ask him, you need to then receive the promise of the Holy Spirit into your life. He's already promised, but we need to play our part by asking and then by receiving. And and at the end of every meeting, after every preacher had preached, there was an opportunity to come and ask and receive. And, and, And for the first time in my life, I think, I just witnessed, it was a joy just to be there, as hundreds of people, we ran out of people to pray for them, it was just ridiculous, just tons of people out the front of every meeting. But the faith level was such that before people would hardly ask, they were receiving. It was an amazing experience and I was trying to organise the troops as if I knew what was going on in the meetings and, and try to get more people, please can you come over and pray because we've run out of people over here. But in the reality, I gave up on that in the end and just joined in the fun. <laughs> and I went down and I found myself, and I, I had hardly got to people to just put my hand just gently on their shoulders, but they'd already been asking before we got to them to pray. And do you know what? They were already receiving what they were asking for. They didn't need me to be there. They just, it was just like, and someone said to me, they had never seen so many people ask for so much and receive so much in, in one meeting ever in their lives. And all that that is about is what we're sharing about this morning. That when people grasp that the God who promised things invites us to ask him to give us those things, simple though that is, but then also to receive those gifts, those promises from him, then we will come into an experience of God that will be more and more attractive to a world who doesn't know him at all. And the key, I'm convinced, is this. And you might, some of you are intelligent here this morning, so you might have even noticed a little theme running through those verses that we just quoted from Jesus. There, that with the promises, there are conditions. There are conditions that come with the promises that God makes. But here's the deal, folks. Once you and I have fulfilled those conditions, you then ignite the promises of God. Now, this is really exciting. Uh, God's part is to be faithful to the things that he's said. Our part is to fulfill the conditions. For example, Jesus said, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. God's, God's part of that deal is to make sure that he abides in you. But it's not automatic. The condition is if. So it's a choice. Do I want God to, I mean, who wouldn't want the God of the universe to, uh, to live in me. All of us would want that. Well, here goes. You invite him. And you actually say to him, I choose to abide in you. The promise is that he will abide. He will be faithful to everything he's promised, but you and I must understand how to see these promises being fulfilled. And the good news for you today is these are not taxing or tiresome to fulfill these. But these are not rules and regulations we have to keep up with. Even a child, even a young child can fulfill these promises, these conditions rather for these promises. In fact, here's a hint, children are better than most of us in this room when it comes to asking and receiving. You might have noticed that. 
And here are the four conditions that are mentioned in these scriptures. It's there in Matthew 7, that first scripture. There are hints of it there in those other verses as well. And the first is a most profound condition. Ask. Well, David, this is, I've come a long way to this meeting and is this all you can give me? Number one condition, ask. But do you know, I've come to the conclusion that this is something that a lot of us really struggle with. How simple, but such a struggle. Uh, most of us come from a culture where it's actually rude to ask. Uh, we don't like to ask people for things. We think we're invading their privacy and we, we're just thinking we're, we're being a bit of a nuisance when to ask. Men particularly are bad at this. A lot of men today from my generation are so grateful that sat-navs were invented because in the old days when we got lost, we had to wind down the window and ask someone the way. And we hated it so much, we just drove for hours rather than ask someone for something. And then added to that, Christians, so culture may prevent us from feeling we have the right to ask, but then add to that as Christians, often we feel so aware of our inadequacies and we're not, you know, we're half made we're a bit of a mess who am I to ask and here's the answer to that question who you are is a child of God you qualify totally to ask for God because he's your father and you're his child I want to say to us today and this may be the simplest thing but the most profound for some of us some of us have got to get good at asking We're not receiving the promises of God and living a life that's magnetic to people around us because we've stopped asking. We're just not asking God for things. Those of you who have children this morning, do your children have a problem with asking? Why do they not have a problem? Because you're their parents and because they somehow presume that if they ask for things, you'll give them to them. And then I go on to ask the question, well, what should we ask God for? Well, in these scriptures, it seems to be amazing, anything. That's over and over again. Jesus, if anything you ask in my name, I'll do for you. Because there's nothing impossible for God. Small things, insignificant things, secular things. In other words, Jesus isn't just interested in answering your your, your requests about spiritual things, but he also wants to be involved in every part of your life. He said, well, I can't trouble God. I just heard verses of scripture this morning. All the universe is held together in him. Why is he bothered about me and my little world? Exactly, that's why you're not asking and that's why you're not receiving. Can't trouble God with this. Do you know, every time you say, I can't trouble God with something, you are being rather silly. I don't know how I don't have another word to use. Why are you being silly? While you're troubled about the God of the universe being bothered about the things that you're asking, you need to understand that when you woke up this morning, even with an extra hour in bed, God was thinking about you. That's how interested he is in you and every small detail of your life. Jesus said, even if a sparrow, I mean, what is it about sparrows? They come in the Bible, they're the most boring bird I've ever seen in my life. If I don't see them because they're so boring, they're not worth looking at. Even if a, I'm sorry if I've offended any sparrow lovers here this morning. It's always going to be one somewhere. There's probably a sparrow expert right now as I'm speaking. But even if a sparrow falls to the ground, your heavenly father knows every sparrow, how much more? Does he know about the details of your life and mine? 
we've got to begin to realize he's interested in anything. It's time for us to start asking. If we don't ask, we don't get. John 16, 24 just reminded us, you haven't got because you haven't asked. It's there in scripture. James chapter 4, 2, look at this. You do not have because you do not ask. Well, there we go. The reason you, you're not receiving the promises is because you're not asking. It really is a condition. We've got to get good at asking. Are you good at asking God for things? And if there's some of you going, no, so let's pre- the, preach the sermon all over again. It's kind of when you recognize I'm not good at asking, there's the problem. We've got to become people who ask, 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 especially about promises. My children ask me for things. I discern whether my children can have the things that they ask for. But you know what I learned when I was raising kids? Even that doesn't stop them asking. They just ask endlessly for things. Can I suggest to you one of the reasons maybe we're not receiving the promises that have been promised to us by God is because we're not asking. Condition number two, believe. You see, you can quote these promises, you can read them to one another, and yet if you don't believe in them, this could be another reason why we're not receiving those things. Matthew chapter 6, I think this was quoted yesterday at a conference, verse 5, and he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Most of us here today would be quite happy with a few sick people that get healed but he marveled at their unbelief. You see, the problem there was he could have done so much more, but people just didn't believe. And I think we need to understand the condition is this. When we ask him for things, we need to believe that he can give us the things that he's asking. Does that make sense? I think it does. Because God has said it. You have to come. Belief is this. It's God who said it. It's his promise. Do you know what? I really do believe that he can do it. And the great testimony of faith in the Bible that we are told to consider often is Abraham. And it says to us in Romans chapter 4 that Abraham, after trying many things to help God fulfill his promises and ran out of ideas, it says he then considered the one who had spoken. And he considered, has the God who spoke, does he have the power to do that which he promised? And you and I can ask him for things, and we should and we must. But at the same time, when we ask him, we need to be people who are then believing that he can do the things he said. I think I've asked for God to do things, but I really don't believe he's going to do it. Guess what? It doesn't happen. Why? Because I'm not fulfilling this other condition so that I might receive this promise. The expectation that what I'm asking for is on the way. And believing doesn't have to be loud. It doesn't have to be presumptuous. It can actually be quiet. It can be an inner assurance within us that this is what God is going to do. I just know he's going to do it. I had a sabbatical uh, December, January, February. And one of the things I studied was praying for the sick. I just did a whole Bible study from the Gospels and, and others and experiences of people. Really wanted to get to grips with something which is really important. We are called by Jesus to pray for people who are sick to see them healed. And there's been books written about it and there's been mysteries about it. And I have to say to you that throughout my life as a a Christian, as a pastor, I've often struggled with this. That that, that there's the promise of healing and we do see healings. And sometimes they're miraculous and supernatural. And then, and sometimes they're gradual and people gradually come into healing. But many people we pray for don't. 
So I was studying, 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 trying to get to grips with why is, why is this? And uh, I hate to disappoint you, but my conclusion was this. It is my responsibility to pray for people. It's God's responsibility to heal them. I don't get to heal anybody. I can't heal anybody. Neither can you. But Jesus can. And it has to do with me believing that the one who can heal people. So, so I must keep praying for sick people all the time. I want to invite you to go on a journey. If someone's sick, pray for them. And the reason we need to pray, if I pray for 100 people and not one of them is healed of a sickness, I get to pray for number 101. That is the attitude because it's not, the pressure's not on me to cause something to happen. The pressure, if there is a pressure, is on me to just keep believing. God, I believe. I believe your promises. You will heal people. And don't get it all complicated and all kind of difficult. I used to get this all very complicated. I used to pray prayers of doubt over people when they came to be healed. What's wrong with you? I wish I'd ne- well, now I wish you'd never told me. I thought you had one thing. Apparently you have 10 things wrong with you. And by the time I get to pray with you, all the faith is being drained from me and I pray all my doubts over you. That's not going to get the person healed. I used to get very common. There's a guy called John Wimber who came into our lives many years ago from the States. Massive, massive healing ministry. I learned so much. And one of the things he said to us, when you pray for people who are sick, keep your eyes open so that you can see what God is doing. Very helpful so I can understand it. Then I have a friend called Mahesh Shavda who's a converted Hindu in the States with a massive healing ministry. Huge. He's seen the dead raised, all sorts of things going. He says, when you pray for people, never keep your eyes open. Um, open always keep them shut because you you don't look at what's going on you just look to the Lord I mean how confusing is this I'm going to start a new ministry one eye open one eye shut it's going to be amazing going to write a book but I got myself into such a, a pickle when it came to praying for and then I suddenly realized I'm putting all the pressure on me to try and manufacture something it is liberating to know that our responsibility is to pray and that God will heal. Pray more, you'll see more healing. This is the condition. Pray believing. Believing. That's the one thing I do when I pray for people now. I genuinely wait and believe. Whatever happens, that I know that Jesus can heal people who are sick. Condition number three. We are to pray in his name. Ask whatever you will, believing, and I will do it. But another condition that comes often is in his name, in the name of Jesus. I don't know about you, but sometimes for me, that's over the years been a way to close down a prayer meeting or to say this meeting's gone on long enough. You know, when someone says, and in the name of Jesus, we go, amen, let's get this meeting over with. (laughs) It's like... In his name is just tagged on the ends of our prayers. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He says, when he says pray, he says pray within his will. Pray within his heart, in his authority. Pray within him. Pray. In other words, as we pray for people, we're asking the question, is this his will that I'm praying this way? Is this his love? Is it, is it in his love, in his desire? Sometimes you find Christians that, preach a kind of prosperity message. And it's kind of like, um, you know, if you just pray, it's like God's a, a button you press and, and you get him in a corner and you say, these are all your promises. And, and, and it's all about actually not to do with him, but to do with you. 
And the sad thing about that when Christians get into that kind of world is it's asking God for things to bless me. Asking for my gain. Can I suggest to you that when you pray like that, you're not praying necessarily in his name. And it's important to understand that when we pray, it's not just to pray to get, it's to pray to glorify God. James chapter 4 verse 3 again, look at this. It says, you ask but you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your possessions. God blesses you and prospers you so that you can be abundant in your giving and so you can be abundant in your glorification of God. He's the one who gets all the glory. So here I am. I, I, I'm realizing that God is faithful. He wants to give and, and I'm asking. Okay, I've got that. I'm not being good at that. So I'm going to start really asking. I must ask believing. And then thirdly, I must make sure that my motives are right. Why, why am I asking for this? Check it out. If my motives are for the glory of God and to the benefit of others, then I'm convinced that God will hear and answer those prayers. Fourthly and finally, and this is almost as as painful and yet as radical as the very first one of ask, we have to receive. It's definitely a condition and it seems crazy that I can be someone who asks, believes, in his name and still not yet receive or get what God wants to give me because I'm I'm no good at receiving. Some of you are are, already nodded as I've been preaching. I am not good at asking, but here's another problem. Neither are some of us good at receiving. And so you can go through all this process of meeting these conditions and then be just no good at receiving. This can't possibly be for me. That's why you're not good at receiving. I'm not worthy of receiving. Who am I that I should receive from God? As I said earlier, it is God's faithfulness to give. It is my responsibility to receive. When our children were young and Liz and I were traveling and we'd go away, or maybe Liz was still not with me, but I'd go away on on her thing. i say to the kids, "I'm I'm going to such and such a nation and I'm going to bring you gifts back. I'm going to arrive on Friday and um, I'm, going to, I'm going to give you uh, the gifts that I'm just promising you I'm going to get. So I get these gifts, whatever they might mostly are, usually chocolates and things like that, and uh, bring them back. And it was funny because I'd open the door and the kids would run towards me, but not really for me. And, uh, and how strange it would have been if I had said to my four children, here are the gifts that I have promised to give to you. Here, here they are. I promised them last week and I have bought them and they're here and they're for you. I don't remember any of my four children at that point saying, but Father, we are not worthy to receive the gifts that you have bought. I, I don't, they might have done, but I don't remember. Now you tell me what happened the moment I said, here are the gifts that I've promised to you. And they're yours. Please tell me what happened at that point. Come on. They took them. And that was not rude. I'd spent all this time telling them, these are yours. You have every right. Why? What's your right? I'm the father. I'm your... Every time we as Christians say, I'm not sure I'm worthy to receive. That is as ridiculous as the illustration I've just given to you. The father has made the promises. 
Jesus has abundantly given to us all of these things and he invites us to receive them. There are two words used in scripture in the Greek for uh, receiving. One is that rather passive waiting, those who wait upon the Lord. Not that that's passive, but it's just the waiting for the promise. And the other word is a word called lambanu. Now you know why that word's up there. And uh, it means to grasp hold of. Every time in scripture Jesus uses the word receive, that is the word he uses. That's massively powerful for us. In other words, when Jesus makes a promise, he expects you like a child. If you want to receive the promise, you have to be actively involved and grasp hold of it. Why, why would you do that? Because you know your father, you know the one who's promised, and you know that this is a promise for you. And my experience at that conference at the end of August was just that. It was watching people through the preaching of the word, right? They've been hearing the word of God. It convinced them that they are able to receive the promises of God. That's all that was happening. These people were no different to any of us. It's just that they they just heard the word and faith was kindled within them and they knew that they were asking and believing and they knew that it was his will and then are receiving so much from God. And I don't think this is about conferences. This is normal life. This is about you and me every day of our lives lambanoing, grasping hold of, receiving from God the things that he's promised to us. So someone say one thing and then we're going to pray. Sometimes when there is a promise from God, there's a delay. Sometimes God does things that we ask for and receive immediately. Often, actually, in my experience, that happens to Christians. They often receive now what Jesus has promised to them. But sometimes we do not. And it's a bit of a mystery. What happens during that period of delay is actually quite key because the promise does not change just because there's a delay in coming. I think sometimes Christians, we kind of think he must have changed his mind or the promise isn't what I thought it was because there's been a delay. Can I just assure you, it's just simply about the timing. It's not about the promise changing. The promises will never change. Uh, Throughout this year, I've been asking God to do things in my life. And we're now at the end of October and I was asking him in January and still those things that I know he's promised haven't come to pass. This is the thing I know and why I will wake up tomorrow still asking for these things. The promises haven't changed. They're just the same. It's the timing. And as a father, when my children asked me for things, my discernment was, is this a good time for them to receive? Because... Our God knows why there's a delay and he knows why his timing is best. But our posture is this, keep on asking, keep on seeking, don't stop, don't give up because God is faithful. Let's stand to our feet. Father, I thank you today as we have so known you with us here and your presence that as we leave this building and go wherever else we're going, you go with us. You do not reside in a building. 
nor on a Sunday morning. I thank you so much that, Lord, this message today, if it's anything, it's, it's a lifestyle change. And I want to pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll help us even as we start thinking about things that we probably should ask you for and believe you in your name and receive. So this is not just a one-off moment, but this is for life. And I pray for many, many people here today who are your followers to agree today that this could be my life. This could be a lifetime of asking, hallelujah, and of believing, checking out my motives, and above all, receiving, receiving, receiving the promises of God. I thank you that this isn't for a person in this room, or a good person, or a bad person, or Christians who are doing well or not so well. This is to do with being children of God, and this means we all get to qualify. And I pray, Lord, that there will be many in this room in these coming weeks who will live this life, who will, who will come from hesitation to confidence and respond to what is in the end, not our even ideas, but yours. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find knock and it will be answered. That's your invitation and I, I pray for that abundant life that will come as a result. I pray there'll be many people in this room who will begin to ask and see miracles, begin to receive things from you they've not received before. And all of this, Lord, is so that your name is glorified in the lives of ordinary people like this and all of this is so that this city, this nation would see many, many individuals, but even whole church communities who are living under the, the, the abundance, the lavish grace of our God poured out upon us. This is not presumption. This is not us boasting in ourselves. This is all to your glory that the abundance of life that you promised would not be kept by us, but be on display to a watching world and that many would come to know you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Now, having just prayed that prayer, one more thing. There are some of you here today, I really want you to step out by faith. We're going to have people pray for you wherever people pray for you in this building. I don't know how it works, but someone does. Um, and, and the heart of it is this. There may be some of you today, you've already, as I've been speaking, thinking, I know there's something I need to ask God for. It may be something spiritual. It may be something practical. Liz and I, our testimony is we've asked God for things when we had no money and everything had run out and we said, Lord, we really do need this and we've asked and miracles have happened. I want to really encourage you today. Is something even today that you should ask for? Is there something today that you have asked for but you know you haven't believed so you need to ask again or you have asked and now you need to receive because you asked but you didn't lambano, you didn't grasp hold of it it's still there and you just need to take it so please don't leave here today without starting to put this into uh, exercise I'll say that if you're one of those people and you don't move on this and get prayed for I can guarantee nothing will happen in your life but if you will start this process it will begin
But my burden is it's not just a one-off, but it's a lifestyle. Amen.